Well, amen. Good to see you here this morning, and it's a real, real pleasure to uh, welcome you to River City Baptist Church. You know, I put like 75 extra chairs out for this week, and here we are again uh, filling this place up. I'm thankful for what God's doing, and, uh, and I just rejoice in, in his goodness, in his blessing, and I trust that you're uh, heading into this next couple of weeks excited for your kids to go back to school. Okay, I know I am, okay, and maybe I'm the only one, but I cannot wait uh, for school to get going. Um, I want to take a minute before we get into our message, I want to welcome some new members to River City Baptist Church. If you're here to join, why don't you go ahead and make your way up here today. I want to introduce you to these wonderful people who have been with us for some time. They have been saved, they have been baptized, and they have uh, decided uh, to come and be a part of our church. And we are super, super excited for God's added blessing uh, to our church. I'll uh, go through as best I can over here. We'll start on the left uh, over here. This is Dave and Luann Morrissey, and been visiting with us for a few weeks. Thankful for their testimony. This is Bradley and Ashlyn Thompson, moved here recently from uh, Georgia. And this is Zach and Peyton Gallinan, who Recently moved here from Georgia. Uh, listen, I'd be moving from Georgia too, to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just, that was a joke. Uh, uh, and then we have, uh, this is John Curtis and Megan Edgy. Did you guys also move from Georgia? <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. And uh, then uh, over here is Lane and Danielle Ganey. And this is Lori Stock. And this is Ken Whitfield. So praise God for these folks. Um, They know that when you come to River City, uh, it means you've been saved, you've been baptized, and you are ready to engage in giving and serving and in connecting. And so be looking for these folks in your connection groups, be looking for them in your places of service, and for sure uh, be willing and ready to reach out with a warm and gracious greeting to welcome new members into our family. So let's thank them and welcome them as they find their seats again. God bless you guys. So excited for each of them and so excited for the gifts and the uh, skills and the just the, 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 the wonderful spirit they're going to bring to our church. If you've got questions about membership, salvation, baptism, in the seat back pocket in front of you is a connection card. Just write your name, write your number, write membership, salvation, whatever concerns you have, I'd be more than happy to help you. We have a new members orientation the first Sunday of every month at 9 o'clock in my office and so We'd like to welcome you to that. We're also going to observe the Lord's Supper here in just a moment in what I hope to be just a memorable uh, service for you. I'm going to tie all of this together as best I can. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. As I mentioned a few weeks back, I'm taking four weeks to preach my favorite sermons. It's kind of like going to an ice cream store every Sunday morning, okay? Uh, it is uh, four sermons, there are four sermons that over the last seven years it allowed me to preach and just ones that I've enjoyed, some I've taken to other churches and preached, but sermons that I just wanted to revisit, I call it the vault. We're doing this for two more Sundays. Next Sunday we're going to look at a guy in the Bible by the name of Barnabas, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, but today I am opening up my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. And it is a story that is the most fascinating story in the Old Testament, I believe, and one that has rich 
uh, implications for us today. And so I'm just going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 2 and do my best to get through this without running a lap, okay? Verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, Boaz, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have not I commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And so she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Amen. I want to lift the title of my sermon from verse number three, and I want to draw your attention to this subject, It Just So Happened. How many of you know that nothing ever just so happens? I was thinking back through my life, and I would encourage you to do the same, to trace just so happened moments. And watch how God has superintended the details of your life to bring you where you are today. I remember years ago making a decision when I first got out of college. I had a job opportunity to work as a student pastor at a large church in Simpsonville, South Carolina. At the same time, I had an opportunity to work at a Christian camp. I just remember not knowing what to do. It was one of those early major decisions and I tried to do some of the things that most people do often when they're faced with decisions, you know, get out the yellow pad and write pros on one side and cons on the other side and draw a line down the middle and write good reasons to do this and bad reasons to do that and flip the page for the next ministry and write good reasons and bad reasons. And I remember becoming pretty weary with that. In fact, finding myself uh, uh, confronted really by God encouraged me to not trust my own understanding but to trust him in all things. And so God led me to read through the book of Proverbs every day for several days that summer as I was making this decision. Now, the Bible says if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Proverbs is the book in the Bible that gives you wisdom. And so every day, 31 chapters, I remember reading through those and taking notes and asking God to lead and direct. At the end of the day, 
Uh, I chose to go to the Christian camp in Louisiana, which was interesting because the other opportunity had all the stability, all the financial security that I could have wanted as a 22-year-old guy graduating from college, getting ready to get married. The, the camp, on the other hand, had absolutely no financial security. There wasn't even a paycheck. In fact, uh, involved in it. It was, if you work here, we'll guarantee you a certain amount of money if you don't bring it in from other sources. And so, thankfully, for six years, I never had to ask them for anything because the money always just came in and was provided. One job gave me a laptop and a nice office. The other job gave me an RV that I could drive around in that they didn't pay for. And so, I, I just remember being led to this opportunity and never really always stepping back to see the full picture of all that happened there. But would you know that in that camp, at that camp, I was able to meet a pastor in South Carolina where I became a member of his church. At that same exact camp, my wife was swimming uh, with some ladies at the pool and there was introduced to a pastor's wife who brought up the subject of adoption to her. And there was the first time we encountered or were made aware of Adriana. A few weeks after that, we flew from Louisiana to where Adriana was born, and we met uh, birth parents, and we started the process of adoption, which, interestingly enough, South Carolina is called the adoption capital of the world. It's the easiest place in all the United States to adopt children from, and God just so happened to put me at a camp, that put me with a pastor, that put me, uh, my wife with a pastor's wife, that put me in a great place to adopt, that put me around a person who had a child that needed adopted. Oh, and then that pastor also uh, was very fond of a ministry in California that he would take the staff to often. And that one summer, I was able to go visit that college ministry and church ministry. And would you believe that God ultimately would lead me just a few short years later to serve on that ministry team for nearly a decade? And would you believe it just so happened while I was there in California that God began to work in my heart and give me a passion to pastor and to lead people, and so I would have never learned some of the things I would have learned to come here had I not been there. And there, I met a pastor named Scott, and Memorial Day weekend of 2016, driving from Kansas to Missouri, I called Scott and said, Scott, look, I'm, I've left my uh, ministry in California. I'm looking for a church to pastor. Do you have any idea of a church looking for a pastor? He said, yeah, you know what? I've got a friend who used to go to my church that moved to Jacksonville, Florida, who's attending a small church. And maybe they would be interested. That church was Harvest Baptist Church that now is River City Baptist. I'm just trying to tell you guys, okay, nothing ever just so happens. And this is exactly the story of Ruth in Ruth chapter number 2. The Bible says in Ruth chapter number 2 that Ruth has returned from Moab. Now, that's a whole other story in of itself, but let me give you a summary. In Ruth chapter number 1, in the first five verses, we learn that Ruth was not even in the picture the story begins with a family in Bethlehem that gets weary of the famine in the land and they relocate a husband named Elimelech, his wife named Naomi, their two boys, Malon and Chilion, move from Israel to down to Moab in a culture, in a country where they were supposed to really have no business with the people at all. They got so embedded into that culture that their two boys married two Moabite women, which was strictly forbidden by God in his word. Those women uh, were a young lady by the name of Ruth and another young lady by the name of Orpah. Tragedy strikes the house, and not only does Naomi's husband die, but Naomi's two sons die, and she is left in Moab with just her 
and her two daughters-in-law, who just all three happen to be widows. In Ruth chapter number 1 and verse number 6, the Bible says that Naomi approaches her daughter-in-laws and says, let's go back to Bethlehem because God has stopped the famine and has started providing bread for his people once again. And so Orpah makes a decision to stay in Moab and go back to her home and back to her country and frankly back to her gods and back to her way of living. But in the middle of Ruth chapter number 1, Ruth makes a declaration of faith in God she follows Naomi, she trusts in the God of the Bible, and she moves her life away from her family, away from her friends, and ends up back in Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. Two widows have no husbands, no source of income, no cashing in of life insurance policies to make it for the next 10 years. They literally had nothing. But the Bible says in chapter number 2 that they wake up in Bethlehem and Ruth comes to Naomi and says, I want to go glean in the fields after the reapers. Now what does that mean? It means that this was during a season of harvest and the reapers would go collect the crops from all the farmers. And, 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 and Israel was, was instructed by God to do two things. Number one, do not cut the corners of your fields. Leave those for poor people and widows. Number two, when you are collecting grain and putting it on a wagon, if some falls off of the wagon, don't reach down and pick it up. Leave it there for people uh, to uh, come through and collect after you're done. This was called in Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, the law of the gleaner, Okay. And so they come back, and Ruth has been made aware of this. And the Bible says she wakes up and says to her mother-in-law, let me go get us some food. And so she leaves. And in verse number three, it says here, it just so happened that she ends up on a part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And in chapter two, verse one, we learn that Boaz was a relative of Naomi's husband, which if you study scripture, you'll know that means he was put into a position to be a redeemer of the family name, called in the Bible a kinsman redeemer. The man in Israel, by the way, in, 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 in Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, it says this took place during the time of Judges, a time of wholesale corruption, a time when people had totally turned their back away from God. And here in the middle of it all was a spiritual man, a godly man that cared about his farmers, cared about his people, cared about his family. And, and watch this, it just so happened. Here's a woman from out of town, doesn't know what street she's on, doesn't know anybody's name, come on, doesn't know what direction to turn, doesn't know what field could possibly produce more grain than another field, has no idea that in normal society in that day, uh, these reapers would violate and, and do damage and harm to these gleaners. In other words, they would abuse them, sexually molest them. Had no idea that she was getting ready to land on a field belonging to probably and arguably the godliest man in Jerusalem or Bethlehem at the time. And it just so happened that somehow, someway, God directed her steps to put her in the company of Boaz that ultimately is going to lead to her marrying Boaz that ultimately is going to lead her to become the father of Obed, who is going to be the father of Jesse. And would you believe that the last word of the book of Ruth is the word David? Meaning that we are introduced in the book of Ruth to the king, David, who is going to be the ultimate answer for the chaos that's taking place in the book of Judges. Folks, what I'm simply saying to you is this. Ruth had no idea what was going on in her life. All that she could do is trust God, and guess what? 
when all you can do is trust God, you're in a really good place because God has a way of directing your steps to his place, to his people, to his will, to his provision, to his future, to his plan, to his unfolding drama in your life. Listen very carefully. You can leave this morning believing this. Nothing ever just so happens. Now, in light of that, let me give you three ways to respond to this, and we'll observe the Lord's Supper. How do you respond to this certain knowledge? I'm talking everything that happens in your life. I'm talking every step you've taken. I'm talking every move you made, everywhere you've been, the family you were born into, the relationships that you're in, the job that you have. Whatever led you to Jacksonville, whatever, whatever you look at in the past that's littered and dirty and ugly and guilty and, 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 and something you'd like to just tuck away and forget about, I'm here to tell you that nothing ever just so happens. How do you respond to this knowledge? Number one, you always trust the promises of God. Always trust the promises of God. The whole entire book of Ruth is, is literally hinges on one word. Ready? Glean. Glean. It's 12 times in chapter 2 the word glean is used. Now in chapter 1 verse 6, go back there real quick, I want you to see this. In chapter 1 verse 6 it says, Then she arose, speaking of Naomi, and her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now go to chapter 1 and look at the very last verse here and it says this. Uh, very last phrase here. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And then in chapter 2, verse, or chapter two, verse 2, Mo, uh, Ruth comes to Naomi and says, let me go glean in the field. Now what is this entire first two chapters of this book built upon? It's built upon this truth. It is built on the truth that God promised widows in the Bible that I will take care of you. And the way that I'm going to take care of you is through what we call the law of the gleaner. I'm going to let you eat food that you did not plant. Come on. I'm going to yep. let you get grain that you did not harvest. Yep. I'm going to let you make bread from food sources that you did not grow. He's basically telling them, I've got you covered. Now watch this. In Ruth 1 verse 6 and in the last verse of Ruth chapter number 1, it is very obvious that between the lines here, Naomi shared this information with Ruth. Can you imagine the conversation? Can you imagine Ruth sitting down with Naomi and Naomi said, you should come back with me and I'll tell you why. We have a God. We have a God who has said, we won't starve there. We'll not be left behind there. God will take care of us there if we go. And here's how he does it. And she opened up a scroll and said, you see this? In Leviticus chapter 25, God told us that there's going to be farmers that are going to leave food out on the field. And if we just yep. go, he's going, to, he's going to make sure that we have everything that we need. And here's old, oh, I love this. Here's all simple-minded, newly saved Ruth just simply believing God. Well, how simple is this? God takes care of his people. Can you believe that today? You believe right here and right now that the promises of God are that he does take care of his people. Now, how does he do it? First of all, he provides the grain that only he could provide. 
God is the one that sent the famine, come on. And God's the one that took the famine away. God's the one that turned the heavens on, and God's the one that turned the heavens off. Are y'all hearing me? I'm talking about God is the one that makes this earth spin around the sun. God is the one that makes the sun shine. God is the one that makes the rain fall. You say, well, I'm just a hard worker. I just do my thing. Friend, look, you wouldn't have had the capacity to get out of bed this morning. You wouldn't have had the strength to get on your own two feet this morning. You wouldn't have had the, the weather to cooperate with the job that you needed to do. If God didn't, let it all happen. God takes care of his people. Then number two, watch this, I love this. God uses his people to take care of his people. How did God take care of his people? By telling farmers to take care of his people. By not cutting the corners of your field. Leave that. Leave that for somebody else. By, by not getting so consumed, come on, with having so much that I have nothing to spare. Some of y'all, your cart is so full and you have nothing to share for others. And you didn't realize that God uses his people to take care of his people. And what do we do in times like, what do you do when you're in a situation, and maybe there's somebody sitting here today going, look, I, look, how can you tell me that this was allowed by God? Folks, I don't know. I can tell you this. I laid awake, I laid awake about half the night last night wrestling with a question like that after I watched Sounds of Freedom. I'm telling you, it was not a happy thing to see. But I wrestled with this very question all night, but here's what I say at the end of the day. I do not understand every detail of everything that God does. I could never presume to do that because if I could presume to do that, then I would be God and he is not. But I can tell you this, all things do work together for good to those that love God and those that call upon his name. I know for sure that God uses every circumstance, every trouble, every trial, every tribulation, every darkness, every season of hurt, every season of doubt. Every, he even, use, even has the ability somehow to take even our sinful choices and somehow weave them together for his plan. And I can trust God there. I can. And so can you. You can trust God that nothing ever just so happens. Number two, I love this, number two. Second thing you need to take away from this message is this. Do not let your past define your future. Do not let your past define your future. Look what happens back in chapter one. I love this. In chapter one, look if you will, verse, uh, uh, verse number 19. And the two of them, Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened, there's that word again. It happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Welcome home, let's go, right? Look at the next verse. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. First time you see that word Mara in the Bible is over in the book of Exodus whenever the children of Israel come to drink water from a brook, but the water is poisoned and corrupted. And they called the spring that fed that stream Mara. It means bitter. It means toxic. It means distasteful, unhealthy. And, and used here, it's speaking of Naomi talking about what happened in her past being the thing that is dictating where she is right now. Watch that. The, 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 the neighbors say, your name is Naomi. That was her God-given name. She turns around and says, don't call me Naomi, call me this, because what has happened to me, she even says, I think three times, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She's basically saying, that's not who I am anymore, because God, watch this, 
God did me wrong. God did me wrong. How could God love me and let my husband die? How could God love me and let my sons die? How could God love me and leave me stranded here to take care of this other lady? I have no idea. No, no, no. I'm not Naomi anymore. I'm Mara. Can I, can I encourage you today? Be very careful to not let your past define your future. Be very careful to not let what has happened to you overtake you and cause you to be, to be jaded and poisoned and toxic yourself. We call this bitterness. It's the thing that blinds people. It binds people. It, 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 it corrupts people. It causes them to live in their past. Friends, you want to know if you want to know the difference between God talking to you and Satan talking to you? I can tell you, God will always be trying to take you forward, and Satan will always be trying to take you backwards. Uh, God will always be trying to point you to the cross and the freedom and the forgiveness that comes in Christ. Satan's always going to try to take you back to the guilt and the shame and what hung you up and what stopped you and what things have you. Friends, I got to tell you, somebody here today needs to be freed from where you've been living in your past. Look, look, look I got it. I got it. Divorce may have been your past, but it doesn't have to be your future. Somebody help me up here. Drugs, come on. Drugs may have been your past, but drugs do not have to be your future. Greed may have been your past, but greed doesn't have to be your future. Unfaithfulness may have been in your past, but unfaithfulness does not have to be in your future. Immorality may have been in your past, but it doesn't have to be your future. Abuse may have been in your past, but y'all ain't even hearing what I'm saying this morning. I'm saying to you that through Jesus, there's a way forward, and you can flee from all that that is binding you in your past. Because nothing just happens. And the problem with some of you is you're so committed to being miserable. You're going to let it ruin the rest of your life. Well, I just want to welcome you, if I could, to the imperfect club. Where all the rest of us call ourselves human. And so are you. And by the way, by the way, while I'm at it, so is the person that you're so bitter against. You know what? My parents, I'm not saying mine, but in this illustration, my parents may have done me wrong and may have hurt me, may have raised me in a way that I don't appreciate. But if you're now taking that and letting it determine the choices of your future, then your parents are the Lord of your life, not Jesus. You say, I was abused, I was sexually mistreated. Okay, that's fine. I, like, I'm not here to be a therapist on the couch and tell you all the things that you have to work out through that. But I am here to tell you this. That does not define your future. Failure does not define your future. Missteps, misdirection, mistakes do not define your future. Ruth, excuse me, Naomi had to come to a place where she got back. And now in chapter 2, she's going to see this plan unfold. I mean, think about what she could have missed out on if she stayed in chapter 1. But friend, when she heard about Boaz, it happens at the end of chapter 2. I mean, this is great. Ruth comes home after the first day, and she has got a sack of grain on her back, big enough to, feel, uh, to feed the entire neighborhood. And Naomi goes, where did you get that from? And she goes, well, I mean, I just was walking around. I was walking around, and I started gleaning on this field. Everybody was so nice to me. It was unbelievable. They were so nice to me. And, and then I met the owner. I met the owner. It was unbelievable. He actually came out to me. He talked to me. And Naomi goes, okay, what's the guy's name? 
And she says, Boaz. And all of a sudden, the scales of bitterness fell off of her eyes. And the verse 1 says, there was a man. There was a relative of Naomi's husband. He was a great man of wealth. He was a family relative. I love it. His name was Boaz. Friend, I just want you to in, intersect in, the, in that word Boaz there and just write the word Jesus right there. And I want to tell you this today. How can you be freed from your past? How can you focus on the God-designed future? There was a man named Jesus. That's how. And he's the answer. And he's the future. He's the forgiver. He's the redeemer. He is your only hope. Let me give you the final thing. I got to be done here. Good night. There's so much to do today. There's so much Lord's Supper and music, things we're going to enjoy, but I'm having a good time. You say, I just don't, I'm just not sure. I, the Bible's boring. Friend, if you think the Bible's boring, let me help you. You're boring. <laughs> You're the problem, not the Bible, okay? This is unbelievable. So the third thing is this. How do you live in this it-just-so-happened attitude? Well, you trust the promises of God. You secondly, do not let your past define your future. But then thirdly, I want you to see this, that you will receive God's grace with gratitude. Now, this is what happens here through chapter 2. Now, now I'm going to summarize for a few minutes, but please, please get this. Here she is. She's a vulnerable, single woman out working in the fields with a bunch of rough, sun-torched men. She's obviously attractive. Did you pick that up when Boaz said, who's that? She is a beautiful foreign woman in Israel around some of the roughest men during some of the God, most godless time in history. She could have been violated and blessed and mistreated and thrown out on the street, but she wasn't. In fact, the opposite is true. The men that were around Boaz were just like he was. They welcomed her. They showed her where the water cooler was. Isn't that cool? Hey, hey, while you're here, come on up here. This is where we get our water from. You can have as much as you want. Can you imagine? She just goes, well, what's this? They didn't tell me about the water part. And then old Boaz steps in. And he says this, I have commanded the men to protect you. I told them, don't touch her. You take care of her. Don't mistreat her. And then he says this, and... I also told him, you can have as much as you want. And he looks right in her eyes and says, don't even think about going to another field because I've got everything here. Are y'all catching this this morning? I've got, I've got everything here that you need in my, in my field. I've got it all right here. It's all you need. Don't need to go to another field. Don't need to go window shopping somewhere else. It's all good, right? Everything you need in Christ Jesus right here in the field. And then by the time we get to verse 10, she's so overwhelmed. By the time she gets to verse 10, she just hits her knees and looks at Boaz and says, why have I found favor in in your eyes that is the question of the day God why have you been so good to me why have you taken such good care of me why is this field so plentiful why is the water always so fresh why are the people so kind and gracious why am I covered for the rest of my life why did you why would you do this why have you been good and what I'm saying to you is what you find in this story is a heart overwhelmed a heart overwhelmed with gratitude for the grace that has been shown 
to her. And I want to tell you this morning, that is how all of us should leave this church this morning. We should leave thinking, wow, what a Savior, what a God, what a story, what a miracle, what a field, what a place, what a man. This is awesome. This is our story. This is what happens to someone that comes into faith with Jesus Christ. They find all that they need has been provided through him. They find all the promises of God in Christ are yea and amen. They find water flows freely from the cooler. They find bread comes out of the field nonstop. They find, I don't want to go anywhere else because nowhere else is going to treat me as good as I'm being treated right here. How many of you agree with me right now? God's been real, real good to you and me, hasn't he? Real good. And today we're going to observe the Lord's Supper with gratitude. Because that's the ultimate thanksgiving. It's gratitude for our salvation. I'm going to ask Wes to come and whoever else is playing with him. And Wes is going to sing the song Gratitude to get our hearts thinking about gratitude. I want to invite you during this song, as the Holy Spirit would lead you, as the Holy Spirit prompts you, you can leave your seat and come down here to this altar, prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. I can tell you what, I could find myself hitting this altar and just stopping for a minute and saying, thank you, Lord, thank you. I'm receiving this whole thing with gratitude. You can worship, you can pray, you can sing along, but whatever you do, let's come with gratitude.